Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the world of priesthood dispatches, where we tell your stories from the front lines of high demand religion. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Priest of Dispatches channel. I am PD. It is the 20th of February 2022. There's a lot of twos there. Uh, my kids are looking forward to the 22nd of February 2022 um, because that's all the twos. Fantastic. And here in the UK we do it properly and put the day before the month. Um, just a little dive there to all my TikTok friends who keep asking me why the day is before the month. Awesome. Um, so second Saturday, something a little bit different this week. Uh, we've all had a lazy day here in the UK, uh, storm battered. We've had Dudley, we've had Eunice, and today we had Frederick, three storms in a row. And uh, not very often that that happens. And everyone's obviously freaking out because everyone's fence has fallen over. And we just do what's very British and look up and talk about the weather. But this evening, we're going to talk about something else. And we are going to talk about your friend and mine. Let's bring him in now. It is Marco Fuentes from Mormon Neurodivergent. Hi, Marco. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you for welcoming me to your platform. I appreciate it. Caught you on the hop there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How was your Delicious. day, Marco? You know, it's, it's fantastic. I've been, uh, as far as actually getting shit done that I put off for... <laughs> <laughs> the whole week okay. uh, busy dad doing work and all that stuff so I'm, I'm glad to have a second saturday to get it done so yeah. uh, no aren't we all no awesome <laughs> um and something that i totally forgot in i was really enjoying my uh, intro so it's the only the first couple of times we've used it so i hope everyone enjoys that and it's your contributions that have allowed me to get a professional voice artist to actually uh voice the intro there uh, allowed me to get some lovely uh, new lights and back in. So like and subscribe wherever you are. And if you feel you can support the channel, please do so by using uh, the usual manner, the QR code at the top there, or the link in the description below. But down to business after that shameful <laughs> plug for money. Hey, uh, I, I was actually thinking like, like, whoa, is that like some AI voice work there? Or is that a real person's voice? there I you know what it's, it's, it, was a, it was a real person's voice and it cost me <laughs> it cost me more than uh I, I thought i'd do it myself and then i thought no i'll get a professional to do it uh so i got the pro to do it and it came in and i'd already paid for it and everything you can't you know i chose the voice um and then my wife's like i could have done better than that i'm like well get upstairs and do it then like, no <laughs> 
everyone thinks they can do better until they actually get in front of the mic and they're like until they are forced to roll up their sleeves and go to work (laughs) yeah it's like it's like me whenever the plumber comes around and i'm looking and i'm thinking mate shoddy work i could have done better myself (laughs) um and then i'd never done it before you know what i mean you're like yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) he made that look really easy and he did a really bad job so anyway marco where whereabouts are you coming to us from I hail from the Great White North of Utah, the Icebox of Utah, also known as Cache Valley, where Logan and Utah State University is, if you've heard of those places. So um, it's one of the more green parts of Utah, whereas the rest of Utah is pretty desert. So yeah, Yeah. it's lovely up here. Well, we are North Utah. All I remember of Northern Utah, been a few times. Um, and we're usually south of the city when we stay with friends in kind of the Sandy Draper area. And then we always drive through northern Utah on our way to Canada. And <laughs> one of my first experiences of like Mormonism outside of the UK was Utah, um, unfortunately. And we were driving to Canada up the, up the I-15. And I just remember my dad said, count the spires. Now in England, when you're on the motorway, <laughs> and you, you like count the spires, and uh, and it's just, yeah, you can spend all all day and never see a spire, uh, but over there it was unreal. They were just everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah, that's something unique about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he kept, he kept kept us going for a long time. Um, cool. Right then, so your story, <laughs> born in the covenant. There in Utah, yeah, inside yeah. the bubble, um, and grew up. Now, I always say this thing to kind of encompass everyone's experience growing up in Utah as a Mormon. Grow, grew up as a a cookie cutter Mormon. Oh, Marco, we're being attacked left, right, and center by the bots tonight. Apologies, <laughs> love, uh... love face X Y Z. Yeah, apologies, wow. everyone. I uh, I am making Whoops. every attempt to kick this person out of the chat. It's okay. It wouldn't be a popular thing if if there weren't some bots showing up, right? So, mate, I, I thought it, I thought it done well, and I thought I had <laughs> solved the problem, um, but it's kicked me out of the chat. That's great. Um, Fantastic. Yes, Doug, the bot. Doug, I'm going to make you um, a honorary moderator. Alana is in the house. (gasps) Oh, hello, Alana. Alana. Praise. Shout out to my my friends, other sheep and Doug. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, if you are listening on the podcast, this will make no sense to you, but occasionally uh, we get bots in the chat on youtube and they seem to find my feed a lot and they start spamming us uh, in the hope that someone will go and watch their illicit pornography um, they obviously know that mormons are sexually repressed and that um porn addiction is real but unfortunately um you have to find them on your own time we are kicking love face out of the chat uh other sheep just a a quick shout out to other sheep other sheep has sent me some awesome artwork and work that is going to be published um on the 
Priest of Dispatch's Facebook page. Other sheep, I have it. It is going up. I just need to find the right slot for it, probably this week. Um, and we can all enjoy that because Other Sheep has done some awesome work there. But back to Marco because you were the special guest this evening. So Northern Utah. So I, I did not grow up emotions. in Northern Utah. I grew up in Central Utah. You ever heard of the Manti Temple? Yeah, the old one. Yeah, I grew up in that little dinky town that has a temple in it. I thought you were going to yeah. say in the temple then. <laughs> um, no, not in the temple. No, no. That would be interesting, but no. Um, well, yeah, I grew up in that small town. It's like the best way I can describe growing up in that town is it's like Mayberry and but Mormonized. If you've seen yeah. the Andy Griffith show, you know, with Don Knotts is pretty funny in that show. Sorry, random thought, but yeah, it was a, as idyllic as it could could be. <laughs> people were people were pretty friendly, um, but of course, very um, what's the word? Um, homogenous <laughs> as far as race and beliefs go so and more or less the same today so well um our tiktok of the week is coming all the way from the mansai temple okay um oh. guys if you we listening to rfm the last few weeks we understand that the temple is secret not sacred or sacred because it's secret i, I don't know which way around he got it but this young lady has it the perfect way around. Let's take a look at I'm excited. even even X Moem from uh, from from TikTok, and uh, this is this is one that I found this week that I found particularly amusing. Can you keep a secret? No. What if it was important? No. What if it was extremely important? No. What if our friendship depended on? No. <laughs> that destroyed me when that's I my it. first time seeing that <laughs> that was amazing just like it's so true isn't it because if you asked no. me um again for anyone on the podcast uh head over to tiktok and check out even x mormon but that was a young lady she was dressed in her temple robes um, and yeah, just telling everyone she couldn't keep a secret. And it's, it's so true. We talk about going to the temple and having this massive secret, but yet in the halls of a Mormon church, can the Relief Society or even the brethren, the brethren are probably the worst for gossiping when it comes to what they heard in PEC. No one can keep a secret. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. So you weren't the regular young man. We know um, <laughs> from from your um, YouTube show that you do now, Mormon Neurodivergence, everyone head over and check it out. The link is in the description below that you were slightly different. Uh, we wrote in the, um, I guess, the write-up for this episode that you, you've already said you grew up in a homogenous background. And that is not just race, that is belief system, that is attitudes. Politics. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, if you can tell us how it was different for you. Um, my dad was probably the first um, Mexican 
to actually hold up residence for longer than a year <laughs> in Manti. Um, and from what I gather, he, I, I've, I've chatted with him now and in, in, in later years uh, recently, and he's like, yeah, I definitely experienced some racism, but he he was uh, he was very forgiving of that of being in the church you know um he he has a he has a, and still to this day has a very strong testimony in the church and i can't fault him for that because it really has helped him and much of my extended family in, in many ways um down in mexico so there are, there are a lot of good benefits he did attend the i believe it's um marito um Oh, I forget what it's called, but there's the high school that the church runs in Mexico City, and he is a graduate okay. from that high school, as well as many of my my aunts and uncles. So church did lots of good things back then, um, uh, and so yeah, he he uh, was baptized at the age of eight as a convert, not just an eight year old <laughs> in within the church, uh, you know, mom and dad or members context. Um, he was baptized at eight and uh, um, eventually maybe, I think it was about five years later, um, my grandparents, his parents joined the church as well. So um, very strong in the church, very faithful. Um, and he did everything that he could to serve a mission. And it wasn't easy because he supported his younger siblings. He was the oldest sibling of, I want to say there are eight there were eight anyway. Wow. One, my uncle died uh, several years ago, um, and so there was a lot of pressure. And he always made sure he, <laughs> I understood this. Whenever I complained about having to do work or <laughs> do anything that would be difficult, and he would talk a lot about his growing up years. And you know, as as annoying as that can be, it's like, yeah, I have to give it to you. you it wasn't easy um, growing up in real abject poverty. Not the kind of poverty we talk about in academic papers that you, you hear about in Western countries. That, you know, the the poverty in the in uh, Latin America is a different kind of poverty that we uh, tend to describe here in in, in the the Western uh, first world countries, so to speak. So, so yeah. Um, and it's not that they were proud of this poverty and no one wants to be in poverty, especially the extreme poverty you find yourself in. And that was the thing is in Mexico and it still is this way somewhat is the disparities between higher class and lower class. And there's a very small middle class. What the church has been able to do is help support and kind of create a slight middle class. Now that's not true across the board and it's definitely changed over decades, I'm sure. But I can say for myself, from my anecdotal experience, I have an uncle who, an aunt who, who are what would be considered middle class in Mexico. I think a lot of that is owed to the, the values they learned in the church, which teaches get an education um, and work hard. And so, so I, 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 am not anti-Mormon. I am post-Mormon in belief, but I'm not someone who thinks that there's, there's no good merits to be found within Mormonism in and of itself. Now, in other areas, yes, I can definitely find uh, ways to critique the church. Um, now, going back to my story, my father, um, he met my mother while serving a mission. And um, 
they i don't know it's they're very cloudy on it every time we ask them they don't they just kind of numb about it but they don't talk about it much and yeah i was able to get something out of it <laughs> yeah, de- oh. decades later so have you it, have you done the math like on the oldest child and your dad's mission dates um let's see it would have been 1970 Five to nineteen, no, nineteen seventy four to nineteen seventy seven, I believe, is when my yeah. father served, and then my mother served. Um, yeah, probably like seventy six to seventy seven, or or something like that. It, it might have been even earlier than that. No, it probably would have been maybe a year earlier than that um, when they served. But anyways, my my mother, I think, went home first. <laughs> Very funny, Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> I'd slap you. Remember the moment said anyone conceived <laughs> on the mission. Yeah, he, oh he got home from his mission in I've, April. And I've, had his I've first a theory Nemo is, is really the bot right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Be, before, we, be, before we carry on, can I ask? So your dad was yeah. converted in Mexico. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did he have a belief or was he taught that he was um, a descendant of Lehi? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Lamanite was a huge thing that my my parents taught us um, to be proud of it, even like because hey, the Lamanites we weren't annihilated, <laughs> right? We were at least a little bit more righteous than the wicked Nephites, right? And so, in some yeah. ways, you kind of tried to to frame it in a positive light, even though, and then kind of hide the obvious racist. Doc, uh, doctrines and scripture <laughs> within the Book of Mormon. So, yeah, definitely to answer your question. Okay, and and he taught that to yourself as a a child. Mm-hmm. And so my my question would be: You would consider yourself to be uh, of Mexican descent, and in correct me if I'm incorrect but in the the wider terms people would consider themselves of the latina um i guess uh heritage mm-hmm. and i'm not sure what you're, what you're getting at sorry you're you'll get you're getting a minute oh okay. you've got native <laughs> you've got native american um native americans okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who joseph smith said obviously that they go uh he sent people out on missions to the lamanites to the native americans etc okay right. but when i think of a native american and someone who is latina they seem like two very different um racial backgrounds to me um i don't know it, like to yeah, a white um... man to, to a white man they might all say well they're not white so they're all the same if you know what i mean but to me in this kind of world that we live in now, racially, mm-hmm. I would say those are two very different um, skin types, uh, facial features, all different things. You know. Well, that, you have to. You have to. You have to, you have to. Yeah, you're right. And and it, the, so to some extent, this occurs in the United States, but not not to the same extent as it does in in Mexico. I can only speak freely Mexico and maybe Guatemala. Um, okay. And that there's a people called the mestizo, which is means mixed. And so you have the Spanish conquistadores 
who generally are mostly of Roman and Germanic heritage, right? Um, yep. And so they come over and kick shit up and start shit and and, <laughs> and conquer. And there you go. So you've got a Latino people who, um, obviously inspired by the American Revolution, decided, fuck you, Spain. We want to control our own destiny. And to, to, the more, to a greater extent, it was the white the more white people who were in charge of that and they kind and and they had they're like modern politicians they had great 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 stuff to say to the mestizo and even the native populations in mexico but as far as executing stuff it was very racially um stratified so um okay. now to to the native americans you see a much more segregated association versus mm -hmm these traditionally uh, English and maybe German, Irish, Scottish settlers um, who push west and yeah. push west and push west. And you have Andrew Jackson with the Trail of Tears, you know, yeah. which that, that really pisses me off. If you want me to get into that, but I'm not going to. So <laughs> um, those, those, those are, they're not as mixed as much as the mestizos of Mexico and Guatemala. However, you will still find native populations that are very still almost close to their original bloodlines um within mexico and guatemala and there actually are mayans still mayan tribes in guatemala and parts of mexico that exist okay. to this day no that, that explains it that's awesome um mm -hmm. thank you because i'm always really um weary of discussing race and different things we don't want to I'm not do a, do a Brad Wilcox, <laughs> but, but I, understand. I just I just thought when when I it's but yeah yeah and anyway um, you did mention you know the the push west and this is something that I've always wanted to discuss so maybe we take two minutes to uh, sure. knock on that door but a lot of at least growing up as a Mormon I was always taught of you know the the great uh, basin that was saved for you know like utah valley was saved for the mormons etc and uh, that it was pre prepared for them and that they came to this place and you always imagine that it's empty that it's this great wilderness full of animals and that, that it was all ready for them a place of peace but then when you actually uh, look into it there was a great war because th there were people living there before the mormons arrived and not only that, but they were subjects of a country I've already mentioned today. Mexico. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was Mexico. <laughs> um, and, and that's what got them away from, got the Mormons away from the United States militias and different things. But yeah, they just came in, they put glass in the flower, and that's a famous Brigham Young. I'm not uh, sure I quote. understand that that saying. Glass in the flower, is that you say? Uh, Brigham Young said that it was easier um, to get rid of. You could you could kill more natives with by putting glass in the flower than by shoot shooting. Um, because they'd obviously take flour to the natives and trade, um, and that he could get rid of more if he put glass in that flower. So, yeah. because he was a bit of a douchebag, so yeah, that's why here. Anyway, back to um, your mom and dad uh, banging on a mission. Yeah, 
Um, he he was I think he eventually became an AP. He was very very personal, um, devout. Um, uh, he it's it's interesting. Um, I remember listening to this podcast uh, on Mormon stories. Um, and Eduardo was talking about his parents and talking about how they were really encouraged to um what was the what was the situation i'm trying to remember how it went if anyone in the comments knows that'd be great but to my to my dad's experience he um there was a lot of pressure to marry um just like with any other missionary but to marry um within the church and and also i'm trying to think of what it was it was like Oh, oh, that's what it was. So sisters were almost like paired up. That's what it was. We're almost like paired up with elders within the mission, like in a way, if that makes sense. So the so it's okay. kind of like like the mission president would have an exit interview and be like, "Hey, how do you feel about sister so and so or sister so and so? I want you to make a promise wow. that you will date those three and decide which of them you will marry or something like that." However, since my dad was AP, it was like, "Hey, Sister Fuentes, she's from Utah." Like, there's some benefits there because she's an American, so let's get her, like, obviously there's some benefits that come with marrying an American if you were in an impoverished country like Mexico. And so, since, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that this is the case, like, this is how the church operated then, but, like, it just seemed to me as I connect dots that, that because my dad was kind of more in the upper range of the elders as far as Mexican elders mm -hmm. got to in their mission, you know, it's like, oh, he's, <laughs> he can, he has an opportunity here. Right. And um, it's, it's funny. Uh, I get the, I get the feeling that my, my mom actually was the one who pursued my father, not the other way around, which you might see traditionally in some societies. <laughs> and she would be writing him a lot. And um Long story short, they got married um, in Utah. He overstayed his visa, got in trouble because <laughs> they thought just getting married would fix it, and it didn't. <laughs> that's a funny. That's a funny story. They they, they required the, the the intervention of Senator Orrin Hatch to keep my dad from being oh, wow. deported. Yeah. So that was fun. It's a fun story. Um, and I'm grateful they did deport him because my mom would have been left as a, basically a single mother in Utah while he figured out how to get back. Cause my, my oldest sister was, she, she was pregnant with, with, with her at the time. And at the same time, I remember my dad, um, he, I, I, I talked to him, like I said, I, I spoke with him more recently in the last couple of years about, what it was like to move from Mexico to the to United States, especially from such a large city as Mexico City to this little town in the sticks in central Utah with this big, massive castle temple. And it was difficult for him. He told me he even um, considered moving back to Mexico and just wow. leaving it, leaving it all behind. That's he was he was depressed. You know, in hindsight, I told him, my dad, you were depressed, you were anxious, and all that. And he's he's like, yeah, I know. I'm and my my abuelito, my his dad, my grandfather, um, spoke to him. And he was like, he's he said, you know, son, I know you're going through a hard time, but you you have a duty to raise that child. That um, and so he stayed, and um, the rest is history. 
six kids. So, yeah. Awesome. I'm one of six as well, and that's that's the best number. Um, are, are you the fourth child or the first? No, I'm the best one. That's the fifth. The, the fifth? fifth child. Uh-uh, yeah, fourth because is the best. Me. No, because <laughs> six is the worst because they're the spoiled baby. Um, uh, so the the fifth one right before is the best one. You're but right. Before we, you're, you're right, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's my it's, it's my show. I'm right. <laughs> before we move on, um, in the chat, we're going to talk about um, Marco's mission in a moment. If you served a mission um, of any kind or was sent anywhere by the church, please uh, put in the chat where it was so we can uh, compare some notes. So fifth is always a handful. Who is that? Other sheep, of course. Other sheep? Fuffing up. <laughs> I was the fourth Can't... child, which meant I shared the middle child. And we all know what the middle child is like. Yeah, okay. Um, so we've got Count Cola went to Mexico Veracruz mission. Nice. Mm. Um, Actually, I think I that went... was the, I think that was the mission my parents served in a part of it anyway before they split it. So it was like a Yucatan and Veracruz were all the same mission, and then they split it, and that's when my dad met my mom, and my dad went from Veracruz to Yucatan mission, and then he became the AP in Yucatan. Okay, um, Alana, the New Zealand Wellington mission. Wow, that's that's awesome. Um, other sheep, Puznan, Korea. Oh my gosh, all of these are awesome places. Um, Nemo, London, England, Temple. Wolf, yeah, unlucky guy, but interesting. Oh no, it gets worse. Sorry, um, Doug, Idaho, Pocatello. Oh, Pocatello, that's only like an hour and a half away from me, Doug. Yeah, and, Idaho, Pocatello. And people always talk shit about Pocatello, but I actually prefer it over Rexburg or Idaho Falls any day. So, yeah, there you go. Well, uh, the the best place in the world. Yeah, sorry, in the world is uh, Rigby, Idaho. Um, <laughs> or... That's your last name. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, get the other bag now. <laughs> yeah, um, but Rigby, Idaho, been there. Awesome place. Mm-hmm. So, Marco, where did you serve? I served in the Hawaii Honolulu mission. Hawaii Honolulu. Did you think when you opened the actual Ryan Silver Ogden, unlucky man, um, when you opened the actual packet to say where you were going to go, where did you think, where was everyone in the state going at the time? Like South America? That's a a good question, actually. I feel like it was like a... I mean, obviously, we had a lot going to Brazil. But it was very diversified, actually, as I think back to it. Um, There was an elder who left a year after me who went to Jamaica. And then another elder went to Singapore. And he couldn't call himself elder. It was just like, yeah, it's interesting. Singapore has very specific rules about proselyting and religions, apparently. So um yeah so it was really and that's just for my ward so yeah it was very eclectic actually in the manti stake at that time anyway i don't know why but it was well, so nemo nemo feels that that's not a mission that's a holiday um, oh well when you're told not to go to the beach then it's actually torture so <laughs> yeah yeah when you're on an <laughs> island sur- surrounded by satan 
Uh, you know, you, <laughs> yeah, you literally. So, oh, there's plenty of uh, um, uh, skin showing wherever you go. So, you know, the temptation wasn't that big of a deal. That last. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> well, we, um, interestingly enough, my niece just got back from her mission in Norway. And I saw her badge and it just had her name on it, like her first name and her second name. And I'm like, what, why um, does it not say sister in Norwegian? And she said that they never had um, elder or sister on their badges in Norway because elder and sister in Norway just doesn't mean what it means in English and is confusing and a bit weird. So they just put their full names on it. And I'm just like, it's confusing and a bit weird in English to call like this 18-year-old kid elder. Yeah. respect your elders but not that one because he's still a child yeah absolutely <laughs> awesome so yeah, yeah. we've got we've got a picture of mexico right here let's take Ooh. a look well no not mexico of you in oh. hawaii what that's the wrong uh, that's the wrong picture bear with me technical <laughs> there we go there we go beach cruiser baby yeah. That's an awesome bike. It is, is. Was that your bike? I wish. No. Okay. So here's the story. My my elder uh, companion there um, to the right. He uh, his bike busted down, and so we were just walking everywhere, taking the bus. And this this Tongan uh, guy who was a member of the church, um, he was less active, so we were visiting with him a bit um he we told him what we were doing how we're getting around he's like hey borrow my bike he just goes around the corner and comes back and brings out this awesome looking like beach cruising bike and we're like what so my companion's just cruising down the road while i'm on my piece of crap mountain bike (laughs) as we go around our area but it was it was just so fun we 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 had a blast we we each took turns riding on it and just took pictures yeah, yeah. So. oh yeah that'd be an awesome bike um not not too good for getting up the hills but for just chilling and, and yeah we had a really flat area so that was good yeah yeah so um i understand you spoke about a tongan elder and i understand that there was actually an incident um where things got a little bit heated um it wasn't tongan i'll just say he was polynesian just to protect okay stuff so um yes um that was when i was on um a side of the island that's uh where they kind of sort of i don't want to say segregate but have land set aside for the native polynesian hawaiians anyways as i was in that apartment there was one elder who was notorious in the mission for being kind of cocky and almost rude but i don't know it was weird um and he then I had the, the the opportunity to actually live in the same pad with him, same flat, and he was just really I don't know getting on everyone's nerves. He was not he was like eating people's food or and all this other stuff. It was getting really obnoxious. We told the zone leader about it, the zone leaders specifically about it. They come over and. Apparently, one of the zone leaders, who was Polynesian, also had beef with him from previous areas <laughs> during the mission. And suddenly, he got in his face. And before you know it, fisticuffs were being laid out just by the 
Polynesian, the, the, this guy, this elder that people were annoyed with was very <laughs> protecting himself, which was a smart thing to do, but it was scary. Um, he was a big, big Polynesian guy. And, yeah. um, I was, I was like, I gotta stop this. And, and I, I tried to go in to stop it. And then, uh, uh, an elder who's a Marshallese Islander for the Marshall Islands grabbed me and pulled me up. He's like, no, don't, you're going to get <laughs> basically implying <laughs> you're going to get fucked up if you try to get in between a Polynesian and his, <laughs> the guy he's, he's pummeling. Yeah. And so that was a little scary. <laughs> Luckily yeah. it, it all settled down. No one got super hurt. I think he had a bloody nose and that was about it. Yeah. Oh. We um or my brother always used to tell us a story from his mission of um a Tongan elder, and he said that there are two elders in a flat. He served in Canada in Calgary, and they'd had some issues with uh, some locals, uh, local local youths, and uh, they'd been flipping gang signs and stuff at them in the street. And then that evening, apparently their flat was upstairs on the second floor. Um, they got a knock at the door um, and they got a set of steps that comes down to a, a front door and just kind of a porch area. And the Tongan elder came down. He'd been in the shower, just wearing his, his towel. And there was like three kids at the door and apparently one of them swung at him and he just like pummeled the first two. And then the, the, the third one had like a, uh, a hockey stick and he swung the hockey stick at this guy oh and he just he just destroyed him and there was just some Tongan elder there in his towel kind of just standing over these three skinny Canadian kids who were all just groaning on the floor and you're like there is some there, there are just some elders you just don't okay and Polynesian don't. Islanders I will say you just don't so yeah um, but your time as a missionary, did, I guess, your neurodivergence play a role in making that better, worse, or? It was probably, it was hard. I was probably one of the, the most difficult greenies. <laughs> how so? Um, because I thought, well, I mean, you know how some greenies think they know everything? Well, I was like yeah. that times 10 because I just am very, I can be kind of like, I don't know how to interact socially sometimes with people, especially back then. Today, I've wisened, I think, a bit, maybe, I don't know. But but back then, especially, I was just, I would just start saying things to these people who happen to answer the door and my, my companion would be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sorry. I don't know. I thought I was saying something important, or I thought I was feeling the spirit, but I guess I wasn't. <laughs> so, wow. You know, just so, it, <laughs> that's that that was discouraging, and I I thought I didn't belong, and I almost went home because. Yeah. 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 Imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So Help, maybe now aided, be... aided, aided, aided by a trainer who was kind of a jerk, but also yeah. Had to put up with a lot, I guess. So maybe now would be a good time, I guess, to uh, explain what neurodivergence actually sure. is or or means for everyone that's watching. Well, before before we look at neurodivergence, um, there's there's actually two terms that can be kind of 
confused maybe a little bit because they're similar but also different. So neurodiversity encompasses everybody, right? Whether you're neurotypical, whatever that means. Okay. Or maybe you've developed depression over the years or anxiety due to maybe a physical ailment or from trauma in your environment. So like PTSD for Vietnam veterans is an example. Um, neurodiversity encompasses that. Neurodivergence also comes in as being something that is more specifically referred to. Uh, until recently, it was more specifically referred to the autism spectrum. But it also applies now to anyone who's had trouble with really severe trouble with math. So that's called dyscalculia and then um, dyslexia. Um, maybe you've heard of that, but that just means you have trouble with words, um, even letters, um, yeah. perhaps reading, comprehension, things like that. Um, Tourette syndrome. And you, I don't know. Do you know what Tourette's syndrome is? Yeah. PD. Yeah. Okay. So, and so well, some people are not, aren't too familiar with that, but it's, it can be like something like, and it, it can almost seem comical if you're not sure what the heck's going on, but there's some people with these weird Tourette tics where they'll yep. suddenly go like, ah, out of nowhere or say F words or something. And it just, they can't control it. It's really interesting. And it's sad too, because they, they are very marginalized. Um, then, uh, then of course there's, uh, um, ADHD or ADD. Um, mm -hmm. and they're finding that not, not every child grows out of it. And even women and girls can have it. And that's in the last 20 years is that you've seen research that indicates such. And it explains a lot of why some people are, have such high anxiety, maybe even obsessiveness with certain routines, uh, things like that, because they're just not sure how to handle this world that demands a specific way of thinking and behaving. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think it's kind of what I was getting at with yourself, um, because you've grown up in a world that has a very prescribed view of how to act think feel and that anything outside of that can uh, be seen as wrong or in some cases sinful you know and mm -hmm. that then absolutely it's guilt and shame heaped upon the person who is actually just um very normal you know in this that there's there's nothing they're not choosing to do anything wrong but they just don't see the world the way that you do Right. And what's even harder is this exists in women and always has existed in women. And Alana has a great comment here that girls can be very hard to diagnose with ADHD because it doesn't present, excuse me, it doesn't present the same way as it does in boys. That's absolutely true. Positively true. Um, I know a handful of girls now um, since kind of starting this whole process of Mormon neurodivergence who if, if honestly if I had just met them on the street I wouldn't have guessed that they had ADHD now if I had gone to know them for more than a few weeks not intimately but maybe on a co-worker basis or something I might be able to pick up on it but even then it's not it's not like I'm actively looking for it it's easy to miss basically um so yeah, and, and Alana, I don't know if you have experience with that. You can write in the comments if you if you like. Um, I don't. Know, but um, 
you know, a lot of the things that are different are that women uh, uh, tend to be forced to learn how to socialize in a certain particular way. And so they, they're able to mask it or hide their symptoms more efficiently, but that comes at a cost. What kind of cost do you think that could come at, PD? See, I'm asking you questions. <laughs> oh, well, um, I think it's, it's just trying to force someone to live a double life. You know, and is there something that you do just out of habit? Maybe like you scratch your ear when something happens. I don't know. Just think, give me an example of something you just do out of habit. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of good things I do out of habit that I can share on the, uh, <laughs> on the sure. channel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, I always, um, yeah, lick my lips when I'm nervous. There you go. Okay, so imagine you you had to force yourself not to do that because it makes other people who are neurotypical really angry whenever you do that with your lips. That it's okay. not appropriate. And you had yeah. to do everything you could to make sure you didn't do it. So you have constantly have to catch yourself. And if you fail okay. even once, you're screwed. Okay, so that's that's kind of what it's like. You have to exert a lot of mental energy to mask your symptoms. Right now, okay. I'm masking with the help of a little drink <laughs> that helps um <laughs> but if you if you were to catch me just chilling at home I, it's, it's a little different how i am so <laughs> okay it, so it, does that make sense uh, we we have yeah, to learn no, to absolutely. adapt to a world and it's exhausting and so so we, sometimes we're, we're we're told that we're lazy or that we're um not hard working and a part of it's because we're exhausted because we're trying to be normal so <laughs> that makes sense yeah no and I, I think not wanting to one of my big things in leaving the church was finding that it's almost when you try and step out of your shoes they talk about walking a mile in someone else's moccasins but when it comes to it can be hard to see things from someone else's point of view, but if you can, as you just did with me, if you can um, put it into the context of, of my life, you know, like with LGBTQ, I thought, well, how would I feel if someone told me I couldn't love my wife because we had the same color hair or that some, some trait that was, that we couldn't control was the same. And for that reason, I had to cancel all of my feelings for that person or, I couldn't get into the special club because I had those feelings. And I think, as you say, it's, it's kind of the, the same. If you can, just for a minute, and we'll never be able to know someone else's lived experience, but if just for a minute you can try and understand um, the, as you say, the, the kind of how tiring it is to constantly be trying to live in a, a different way just to please everyone else you yeah. know just to make everyone else comfortable because it upsets them um when you do your tick you know or when you um i think one that one that i can remember from youth is we had a young man who always had to whenever he was asked a question he always had to repeat the question back but he had to repeat it in such a long kind of form 
So if he was asked, um, why did Jesus die? And we'd had a whole lesson on the atonement. He'd, he'd start speaking his whole thought process. Um, and he'd be like, why did Jesus die? Well, um, and he'd speak out loud as he was thinking about it. And you'd hear the answer. And then after a couple of minutes, he would then look up and give the answer um that he felt and everyone used to get so annoyed with him because it took so long for him to answer a question and it got to the point where people stopped asking him questions because people were just so annoyed whereas what's actually happening there is that's just his natural um way and he never got a question wrong so you know it's it's not if, it's not the content anything, that he that he's messing up on yeah it's, his, it's how he yeah approaches it he, he was mm -hmm. If he wasn't speaking it out loud, he'd just be seen as someone who was maybe thinking thoughtfully about the question, uh, you know, taking his time to answer so that he gave the correct answer. But just because he, of the way what he, he's doing, way it sounds he did like it. it's a way for him to, I think, a way for him to cope because it's probably, I'm telling you, he's probably nervous just to be in that classroom because, and yeah. then to be asked that question, it's his way of coping with wanting to feel. Like he should answer the question to please the teacher. The only way he knows how to cope with that that stress is sounding it out. And this actually is true for some people with ADHD and for myself too. I I, I do better when I sound out my thought process rather than just because if I just think it in my head, I have a, a like a thousand thoughts going in my head every day, yeah. it, like so quickly. But to to sound out your thought process, it helps you to really filter out the the. The buzz that's going on in the head does that make sense yeah 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 no absolutely and but i guarantee that he knew everyone was getting pissed off around him as well oh yeah but we're he, aware of it he he could hear everyone huffing he could hear you know people being like oh why did you ask him you know and you know even the teacher would get pissed off and you could see it in their face and they they were thinking why have i asked this person uh but you know, I he's, you know what, he's probably a multimillionaire somewhere now because <laughs> he's thought out his process for um, a, an Excel spreadsheet that does your accounts or something, and he's he's coining it, you know, because the kid was smart as a whip. So, mm -hmm. yep. screw those those others <laughs> um, that that were upset with him, and you know what, screw me because I was I was with him at times. You know, because... well, here, here, well, here's the thing is I give, I think a lot of us who are neurodivergent give neurotypicals a lot of grace because we know you don't get it. We know it's hard to empathize with a brain process that you don't experience. Yeah, it is what it is. Um... But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we have to continue the status quo of marginalizing people um, just because of how they process things. Um, and for, especially for people who have ADHD, like me, being, forgetfulness is a huge thing, especially in work <laughs> yeah. because well, part of what makes us really work and drive is what we're interested in. It's, it's what is stimulating. And if you're at a job you don't like, we're going to suck at it and we're either going to get fired or we're going to quit. And that's been my experience. And I've talked with other people and that's been their experience and it sucks. Because I'd rather yeah. keep my job, even though it's annoying and I don't like it. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've been uh, in preparation. Uh, my, 
my wife probably hates me preparing for these interviews because uh, <laughs> this this week I prepared by going on TikTok and logging into Neurodivergent TikTok, and there are a lot of people on there who they react especially well to different types of music, and they hear music differently to the way that I'm hearing the music, you know, and they're giving visual cues of like things that they're hearing or that they're picking out from the background of the music and that they just hear the world um, totally different and see different things. And there was one fella, um, he could taste names, um, which was That's totally really random. But totally awesome at the same time you know he'd, he'd have people they put their names up and mate he'd got thousands well millions of views and and different things and he was obviously coining it on tiktok so mm -hmm. whether that's a real thing or not i don't know but it I could be a real thing if it's genuine it's fantastic yeah you know going back to your thing about music and how it's heard differently perhaps i think that is definitely true for me um <laughs> and I wasn't going to do this, but I'll, I'll put in a plug for my favorite band is, is Weezer, especially their first album, the blue album, the type of distortion and fuzz that they use. I got hooked on that and obsessed with that. And I still, to this day, it's like soothing for me. And even their subsequent albums, they still keep a similar sound. And I think that's part of why they're my favorite band is just the sound. And then also the melodies the melody combined with the type of fuzz and distortion you, I get from it, it's it's almost like soothing, um, which is part of why I think I'm autistic. I don't know, but I probably am, but it doesn't matter. It, it, what matters is that, you know, we recognize that there are these differences and yeah, music is one big a sign of that. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, um, well, I had a previous guest, um, Clayne Wademan, but Clay plain wayman and uh, he grew up flds but he has come to a place in his life where music uh, i don't understand everything about it and where where he is because this isn't what the episode was about when we spoke but he was speaking about how he believes that you know music uh, is or deity takes the form of music and that he you know feels it through an audio kind of input in his life and you know maybe that's a, a similar thing he's found a kind of music that mm. gives him those feelings of um the spirit and the, the holy ghost but i think all of this framed together and this was another thing coming out of the church i've had my own experiences in life and would say i am neurodivergent and uh um, the uh, kind of umbrella we've spoken about already this evening. But being that, I can understand how real uh, it can feel, kind of how your body can sometimes fool you or how things can happen and you're like, that was really real to me, but to other people it wasn't. I don't know. What I'm, what, basically what I'm getting at is, your body can create situations where it, it gets what it wants from that situation. And if what your body wants from that situation is this feeling of the spirit, that's what it can create, mm. you know? And for me, that's when the spiritual witness kind of lost its 
potency when I realized why am I feeling the spirit at a Slipknot concert? Not that I've been as an example though, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know totally. what? I'm I'm chanting along in the the football terraces over here at a football game with thirty thousand other people screaming, the referee's a wanker, and I'm feeling the spirit. Why is that? Is it right. because the referee is actually a wanker? Or is it because <laughs> um, I'm part of yeah. you know this great I say great, this big group of people and we're taking part in something as a unit and then my body just feels that way. It's not the spirit. It's just can they call Yeah, it? I, I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um I think that I think for me in my experience, I never really felt the spirit necessarily at like a fireside, no matter how much emotion some would put into it. Like I could feel the empathy, but it wasn't like what you're describing a totally different experience, okay. right? A deeper experience. I can have the empathy, even cognitive empathy, maybe even real empathy for whatever they're talking about. But at the same time, like the subject matter, what matters to me. And I always had doubts whether when I was growing up, it just kind of stuffed away. Like maybe many of us did. But for me, when I felt like when I actually felt the spirit was always when I was listening to the hymns. I, and there's certain hymns that I enjoyed a lot. Not, not And our lovely Deseret, maybe not so much. You know, shout out to Nemo. I think he thinks that's crazy song. But, <laughs> you know, more more of those songs that are supposed to be comforting, um, like Near My God to Thee, Be Still My Soul, Lead Kindly Light. You know, those times, those, it's the tunes more than just the words that were moving for me, right? So I, I know what you mean by that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just think when, because people say you know you can't take the spirit out of it, but then what makes just how I can't understand how you feel the spirit to say or how you feel during those hymns, you can't understand how I feel um, during you know how wherever I feel elated, etc. and. When I board up at church, what makes your spiritual witness better than the spiritual witness of the Jehovah's Witness down the road or mm-hmm. of the Muslim, the Buddhist, the Hindu? What's, you know, what, what makes yours better? What makes you think that right. you're on this pedestal? And you, I remember, you get all the beer. Go on. I remember growing up watching movies that would have like these Catholic scenes with like Catholic rites or something happening, and I'd be like, "That's so cool!" And I felt like the spirit. <laughs> and then I remember going, "Oh, it's very delicious, other sheep. It very, it very much is." <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> no, but you, you, I would see these things. I'd be like, "That is so cool!" Like the pomp and circumstance. Sometimes it really sells me. Especially when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, and and I don't know if they had similar things like that in the Church of England, like similar rites, like Catholicism. I don't know. Can you speak uh, to I'm that sure, at all? I'm sure they do. No, okay. I'm I'm sure they do. The Church of England is um at, in its its roots were in Catholicism, so I doubt that they've gone too far. Right, that makes sense. So, um, but yeah, it's like, and, and then when I was on my mission learning a little bit about like kind of not necessarily the Buddhist beliefs, but just kind of 
whenever we would talk to someone at the door who was kind enough to open the door, they were a Buddhist. Because of Hawaii, you know, spoiler alert, if you've never been to Hawaii, whites are the minority. So there's a lot of Buddhists in Hawaii, um, a lot of Japanese ancestry going that way. And with Buddhism, they are just taught to really be kind, to be patient, long-suffering, and also venerate their ancestors, which that was a push the church tried to make us go for was genealogy and that stuff. Yeah. Didn't work. (laughs) But yeah, you know, these different religions and that's like, I'm getting lots of stuff out of it. And granted the church teaches, Oh yeah, there's great stuff in all these religions. Yeah. But we have the truth. We have the market cornered on truth. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because there's some stuff that I learned, even on my mission, I was like, it doesn't make sense. Whatever. I'm just, I'm in Hawaii. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah. <continue laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I can I can keep going for for eighteen more months with that view. Um, but I think that something that Brad Wilcox said. <laughs> there's been so much the last few weeks about Brad Wilcox. Poor guy. Um, no, not poor guy. He was a douchebag. But he. <laughs> this. I was, I was just saying to Marco this week has been weird because last week was so intense with Bradgate and Keith and just it all blew up. And then on Sunday, Brad came out with his second apology um, uh, where he's like, oh, it's been an awful week for me. And you're just like, Brad, piss off. But something that he also said. half-assed, totally half-assed. Yeah. Oh, it was an awful apology. I should have played it tonight. Uh, and then, and then, you... and then they had the audacity to put in the token black dude who's his friend. Oh, that was really obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we can we can only assume they had uh, the best of intentions, right? The best of intentions. But something else that he did, he did was he's come out and apologized for his stance on race and the priesthood and his comments. Okay, but what he didn't come out and apologize for was his blatant sexism about sisters and the priesthood and sisters' role in the gospel. He didn't come out and speak about his, you know, basic just blowing away other churches when it comes to saying they don't have the authority, that they're playing church, and that you you can't get anywhere unless it's in this church. But something that he said that pissed me off even just to go on the the list of things that pissed me off. He said that if you've not already met um, someone who is upset when you say that this is um, the only true church, then you will. You'll come across someone who gets upset when you say that we are the true church, the one and only. And I'm like, yeah, me. And he says it's because it's it's not tolerant enough. And I'm like, no, it's because by saying that, you just elevated yourself above everyone else. You've discounted everyone else's spiritual experience. You've discounted everyone else's teachings, life experience, and just said, that's all bullshit because we're right. We're white, we're right, and we got money. Okay? And that's, that's kind of Brad Wilcox in a nutshell and he can piss off because he's a knobhead i'm i'm going down a i'm going down a rabbit hole here i was really angry about his second apology it really pissed me off because it wasn't an apology his wife was there to back him up 
uh, and and kind of pat him on the back because he was like, oh, what was me? And um, yeah, they brought along his token black friend to um, say that it was all great. And then at the end, Brother Corbett was speaking about letting everyone know that Brad spent some years in Ethiopia, you know, mm. uh, making out that he wasn't racist because he had friends in Ethiopia. But then the Britvengers did their thing and uh, Peter Bleakley posted the uh, LDS.org article of Brad in Ethiopia. And there was one image of him and his brother and some black children, which was, you know, I guess they were, they were like, oh, Brad, um, Brad with some of his Ethiopian friends. And then it had a photo of Brad in his primary class. And you know what? They were all white Americans. Um, there wasn't one black child um, in the photograph of him in his primary class in Ethiopia like because it was the 60s. They didn't let them in. That, that's like saying, I grew up in South Africa, but you actually hung out with all the Afrikaners. Just yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he was, yeah. he was his brother Corbett trying to like um, clean him with his past by saying he's so tolerant because um, he, he's, he's there, but he's, it's not, he's not tolerant. Other sheep, um, you can find the link, or anyone else, you can find the link to that LDS.org article. Yeah, in, I didn't know about that. I want to look at that too. Yeah, if you if you go to uh, the video on my channel, which has the full uh, Brad and Brother Corbett kind of loving, um, in the description of that video, I've posted the LDS.org link so people can look and, and see. But yeah, it was... Um, it was they tried to... Uh, put it to bed and i think all they did was raise more questions but yeah we could go on all evening we've we've come <laughs> a, lo a long way around um but what i want to do now is kind of start bringing things um to a head but i want to ask you marco mm -hmm. um if you could advise the church on one way to help people um with neurodivergence or to help um you know what advice would you give the church to help some of the young mormons who are suffering right now i th i think a big disservice is they have taken many people who are say autistic or have adhd and uh, with adhd comes a lot of comorbidity problems like anxiety and depression they've taken them out of those high pressure or high stress missions and all that does is communicate that you're not capable or you're incapable of doing hard things. And the reality is, is that the supports aren't there for us. So that's one thing is for the missionaries who, who want to go maybe somewhere that's not, not, not saying that it's bad to attend a, say a, a, tem a temple service mission. That's not bad at all. Or to do a service mission in your local ward. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But some kind of do aspire to be, I want to go to Brazil, or it'd be fun to go to England, or to go to Florida, or wherever, somewhere that's not where they're living, per se. Um, and to, they use they use that because they don't want to deal with the difficulties, the extra support that may come with with that. So there's the missionary aspect there. And then along with that, and I think they're get, starting to be a little bit better with this, but for those missionaries who maybe they weren't aware they had ADHD, because that happens a lot, um, or autism or anything, 
in that way mm-hmm. uh, neurodivergence when they come home from a mission the supports are also not there to help them transition and it's it's difficult enough for a neurotypical to transition uh yeah. my transition from my mission was shit sucked so bad number one i was leaving hawaii <laughs> yeah in fact i remember flying over salt lake when the pilot told us we're flying i looked out the window looking down so i'm like i'm like like, oh my god there's so many damn mormons and i'm i thought what did i just say what did i I just say but i i believed it it was like i was surprised myself that i said it but it's how i really felt and i loved living in hawaii because there was so much diversity there because not everyone was mormon there was so, and not everyone was white on top of that. That was, it was amazing. Um, it's funny. <laughs> the white elders would be like, you know, Mark, I think a lot, of people, a lot of the locals think you're from Hawaii until you open your mouth. I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, but um, I wouldn't mind being from Hawaii. I, I'd go back there in a heartbeat, but um, except money, you know. So, I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent. Where? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? How can the church help? Oh um, yes, um, the people? church. I think we're for young people. They need to. They need to really help. I don't know. So, number one, science needs to be accepted, and not just the basic science that benefits their bottom dollar, like the engineering degrees at BYU and all that stuff. We need science and, and the humanities and the social sciences to be taken seriously. And they, 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 they put too much of a, of a religious bent into psychology um, at the uh, church universities, from what I've understood, uh, and it's still there's still academic rigor. Don't get me wrong; I know there's still professors who are very scientifically minded. But the church as an institution, I feel like there's a lot of pushback on um, well LGBTQ issues as, as one huge thing, and there's more science backing up that it's not really a choice. It's not um, same thing with neurodivergence. It's not a choice for us to who we are. Um, we are who we are and it's who it's it's difficult because who we are clashes a lot with the doctrines and dogma that have been taught in the church for well over a century and not just by the mormon church but by christian churches i mean joseph smith's beliefs didn't come out of a vacuum there he derived so much from methodism and the occult and other things traditions that way so we have to recognize that i think the church just needs to follow the science recognize that what their doctrines are doing are harmful so okay no and i totally agree with you i think um other sheep just let us know there look what it did to natasha natasha mm-hmm. helper parker who was i guess following the science and trying to speak well I don't even think she was um, speaking out in a, an awful way. She was just letting everyone know um, that, you know, masturbation was a normal thing, that sexual health was the thing, that the church has avoided it for so long. And I think it's the same with um, a lot of, you know, we can go to neurodivergence, we can go to LGBTQ. And when these professionals start, it's not speaking out, it is just educating those around them um but we've seen the church 
will politely ask that they don't do that. And the minute that they say no, then they're excommunicated or, you know, disciplined. How many experts are out there who don't speak to others because they're afraid of um, the action that the church will take against them? You know, and, and it's that fear maybe that the church relies on in order to hold hold things together, you know, and stop its BYU professors from telling everyone the truth about what's going on. Pardon me. I'm I'm coming across like a right um flipping activist right now from my <laughs> seat here in somewhere near maybe, maybe, and, and maybe we can you know what you said lift where you stand right I'm lifting where yeah. i stand so no we no thank you thank you for um coming on this evening and i think we've had a, a good chin wag about <laughs> something important you know because people do need to realize um that everyone's different but i think the church doesn't want you to realize that because when you start to realize that, you start to empathize with others, you start to look outside the, the boat and realize that people are living quite good lives outside the boat. They haven't sunk, they're not, they're good people, you know, right. and that you don't, you don't need a, someone sat on their velvet throne in the conference center to tell you how to be a good person. You don't need the promise of eternal blessings or the threat of eternal hell to be a good person and do nice things right so Absolutely. that's my soapbox <laughs> anyway thank thank you so much um for giving us your time uh the work that you do in trying to draw more attention to neurodivergence everyone hit the link below and go and look at uh marco's stuff because it's it's great uh, yeah, go, specifically, if, if I can plug, if I can plug Brian Grunewald, it was my, um, my first interview that I've done. And it, it was, he's a great, fantastic chap. He's wonderful. Um, he also happens to be super tall and loves octopi, octopuses, whatever. So yeah, there's my plug. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. And before we go, before we go, a couple of things, Ryan Silver, Tom Trails, thanks so much for uh, leaving a tip this evening just double check i've not missed anyone uh thank you so much to doug vincent who's always um a big supporter of the show and who has bought some awesome kit for us here at priest of dispatches thank you doug uh if i can draw your attention to oh let me press the right button this week uh we have the first <laughs> episode of multi-level missionary the unboxing uh that came out i promise <laughs> I promise these will get better. Um, I, I, I did it watch is, it. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, go uh, give it a watch. And hopefully it's it's going to be a long undertaking. My wife looked at me after I released it and she said, you know what you've done? I said, like, what do you mean? She's like, you just promised everyone one episode every week for two years. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think about that before I did that. But hey, we'll see where it goes. Multi-level missionary. Uh, <laughs> but yeah thank you everyone um yeah like and subscribe uh hit the little there's a button down underneath marco where you can subscribe subscribe to marco's channel um let's let's grow and one day you never know the church might take some notice but for now from me and marco have a great second saturday evening sucks that tomorrow's monday but we will catch you next time
See ya. Okay. Aloha.